You are listening to Right Here, Right Now on Sin Nation. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm Lucy. And I'm Kate. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a, uh, a big show for you guys tonight. We have an interview uh, in a little while with Madison Griffiths, uh, an author um, and poet and uh, an editor of VoiceWorks. Um, and we have, as well as that, some fabulous submissions for you. Uh. Before we get started, we'd just like to acknowledge and pay respect to the owners of the land, the House of Sin and the studios stand on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Um, we'd also like to um, have a quick content warning. Um, we're reading creative works tonight and some of the themes covered might not be for everyone. So if sensitive or little ears are tuned in, we recommend you switch stations. Thanks, guys. So we're going to dive straight into this evening's show with a submission from William Kane. William's works have... Uh, been showcased before on our show uh, the last few weeks and here's another poem from William it's called Warm Shadows In Leon, Nicaragua the time is 3.30 A hot, still day meanders along whilst men with wide-brimmed hats lazily wait for the sun to die a blood-red beautiful death Across the sprawling blue. The sun hangs low. The angle casts reminiscent shadows from childhood. The way things look in the dying heat of the afternoon sparks memories of school bells ringing and children singing. The time, 3.30. A symbol of innocence. Freedom. The memory hangs momentarily, achingly, I understand, with a wince, a glimmer, that fragments of that golden era are all that you can ever feel. A submission by William Kane, a poet we have had on the show before. William, thank you so much for your submission there. If people do want to submit, where can they go? Well, they can hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at Right Here Radio and chuck us an email, rightheareradio at gmail.com. That's right, W-R-I-T-E. Um, we'd love to hear your work. Now, we're going to uh, play you a spoken word piece by Madison Griffith. Griffiths. Um, we're speaking with her in just a moment we'll play an interview with her in just a moment uh, for you guys but just a little taste of uh, Madison's work what's to come when they query you what they are really asking is this how is it possible to be the rainforest and the chainsaw all at the same time you are both the ferns your tendrils heavy and covered in mosquito eggs and the dull racket of a single bulldozer, as men named Larry and Craig and Mac and Pete flick cigarettes from the padded seats of your back, each flame singeing the grassy soil that is yours, too. You are apostles and sand, 
string hoppers served in service station sandwich wrappers. They could ask you about skyscrapers or news articles or the weather, but they don't. And then there's the girls who hid you underneath their beds. Amongst empty caskets, half-finished journals and unwashed briefs, you waited for them, silent and hungry. The sweethearts who charred their white fingers on your glorious, golden cheeks. It will be nice, boy, and it will be good. And with her, you will forget for a moment that you are the cheap villa, the metropolitan paradise in a white town with a white father, a getaway with bamboo limbs. You creak and cry in the ocean breeze and the hot water never works when she wants it to and you beg her not to leave, but she does. She always does. And the splinters of gold wedged into the grooves of her fingertips continue to shimmer in the right light. Um, that was Madison Griffiths and you can find more of her work at madisongriffiths.tumblr.com and now um, we have a piece, a submission from Kayla Gaskell um, and um, she's a young Australian writer and this is her piece, The Americans. Um, it's a bit of a longer piece so we're just going to read out some of our favourite bits. Um, we're going to drive straight into the action just after the main characters have met two American tourists grape picking at a vineyard. When Harry returned, he nudged me with an elbow and mentioned that he wanted me to talk, that he wanted to talk to me. I grimaced at Peter, who was watching, and waited as he and Gabrielle grabbed a pair of empty buckets and started towards the vines. When they were gone, I turned to Harry. He was rubbing his arms, watching Peter and Gabrielle through narrowed eyes. That was rude. Why are they here? Harry demanded. They work for me, I said. Harry turned away. What's wrong? Since when were you hiring Americans? What's wrong with Americans? Harry's face had darkened. He watched over my shoulder as a couple disappeared. I crossed my arms, still waiting for an answer. Harry's eyes snapped back to mine. He was angry with me. What's wrong with Americans? Haven't you been listening to them? Harry asked. To who? You know, them. Who are they, I asked. Everybody. What? Harry paused. He looked like he was listening to something. Don't you hear them? Harry, I said. Are you all right? Harry's room was a mess. His curtains were shut and he was lying on top of his blankets. His eyes were glazed and I wasn't sure that he'd noticed me. I sat back. I sat beside him on his bed and told myself that I'd wash his blankets next time I got a chance. That w you were really rude last night, I said, sitting on his bed. She said I was crazy. She said she was worried. We're both worried. You shouldn't be. You're going to get checked, I announced, heading for the door. Harry responded by picking up his alarm clock and throwing it at me. I swore, dodging it as it shattered against the wall. I gave his bed one final disgusted look and stormed from the room. When we reached the hospital, Harry was quiet. He followed obediently. I'd convinced him that the Americans were on our trail and he believed it. He kept looking around as if he convinced that they'd jump out at us at any moment. Leanne had organised an appointment with a specialist in the psychiatric ward. Harry would be under 24-hour observation. After that, the doctors would diagnose him and we could visit. It was standard procedure, but it felt as if we were abandoning him. 
The ward was on western was on the western side of the hospital, and a long walk from the main entrance. The walls were painted blue, and decorated with patient art that looked as if it had been painted by children. We passed an indoor garden and a few drab sitting rooms before finally reaching the main room. While while Mum went to check went to the desk to check in, Harry and I found seats. I felt as if we were little boys again, waiting side by side. Harry was more content now. He'd stopped looking over his shoulder and watching and was watching Mum as she talked to the woman behind the desk. Trent, Harry whispered, leaning towards me, as if about to tell me a secret. He nodded towards Mum. Did you know that she's married to an American? And that was The Americans by Kayla Gaskell. Um, it was a reader submission. It was just a lovely piece. Really nice. Yeah, thank you so much for for submitting, Kayla. Um, don't forget to all our listeners, we love hearing your work, your poems, your short stories, your ideas. So if you have anything, send it on through to radio at gmail.com. And we're going to go to an interview now. Um, so we had a chat with Madison Griffiths earlier in the week. Madison is a writer, artist and poet whose work has been published in Vice, SBS, Overland, Daily Life, Mianjin, Kill Your Darlings, Pedestrian, Catalog Magazine, Catapult and Going Down Swinging, amongst others. In March of 2018, she was the Victorian Women's Trust resident writer. Last year, she was shortlisted for the 2017 Overland Fair Australia Prize, and she is now an online editor for VoiceWorks. Her work revolves predominantly around issues concerning women, mental illness and race. So here's an interview with her. Hey, well, thanks so much for joining us, Madison. Um, We're going to get started now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am a 24-year-old poet and writer from Melbourne. Um, I have been performing spoken word poetry and publishing for about two and a half years now. And yeah, I really enjoy it. (laughs) Cool. So um, how did you come to start writing poetry? It's funny. I actually, about three years ago, I had a New Year's resolution to try spoken word poetry, um, just out of curiosity. I'd seen a couple of YouTube videos floating around, and I thought that they were incredibly powerful. And so I went to a couple of local events and just fell in love with it and really, really adored it. And from that moment, I started self-publishing just on my social media pages, and it all just fell into place really easily, like really, really easily. Um, I started doing more. I started getting paid to speak and it was a really, really easy process. I understand it's not the case for everyone, but I was incredibly lucky. So do you find it ever intimidating or scary to get up and speak something that you've written, something like so personal in front of an Absolutely. audience? Absolutely. At the beginning, I remember my first spoken word performance. I cried and I was so embarrassed. Um, now, not so much. I tend to find that the events I... Uh, speak at, I am surrounded by poets who I admire and poets who I associate with on a personal level as well. So that community network is really supportive. Um, But I do get intimidated for sure. I find that when I get commissioned to do work, it's a little bit less intimidating because I'm sort of told to write about a particular topic and that's a little bit easier. Yeah. So you don't only write poetry, though, do you? You, you yeah. write articles and, yes. and stuff like that as well? Yeah, so I write, um, I write cultural criticism and editorial for work. 
I do a lot of freelancing for places like Vice, SBS, um, Leangin, Overland, those sort of journals and websites. Um, I've been a little bit quiet in that regard. I've been working on a larger project, so that's taken up more of my time. Um, but yeah, I d everything I do revolves around writing generally. <laughs> and do you find that um, when you write, when you go to start writing a poem, mm -hmm. as opposed to say an article, do you do you have a different process, or do you start totally them in different? different Absolutely. So I will really struggle to start writing a poem unless I've been reading a lot of poetry. Every day I'll try to go into poetry magazine and to keep tabs on the poets who I really like, um, to also just look at artwork and to get into a different headspace where I'm more introspective. When it comes to articles, um, some of the articles I write, which are more long form take a lot more reading journal like university journal articles or reading other responses in the news that aren't necessarily poetic or inspiring it's more about inciting anger rather than <laughs> inspired than inspiring some sort of um beautiful eloquence i find yeah so i yeah i um know that you write about quite a lot of um topics like about feminism and sexuality and mm -hmm. mental health mm -hmm. um why is it important to you to write about those topics? They feel incredibly demanding for me. Uh, how I make sense of the world and how a lot of women make sense, all women make sense of the world, is through a very woman-centric or feminist lens. Uh, perhaps not a feminist lens, but through a lens that um, I feel often demands to come out, essentially. Um, the mental health stuff is interesting because a lot of that for me is about breaking down stigma, especially about how creatives work, um, about how artists work, uh, the isolation that comes with that, um, the the hooks of capitalism that comes with being told that your work isn't isn't worth anything or doesn't contribute to the economy. Um, so I actually find the mental health stuff more intimidating than I do the feminism, um, even though I probably get more more hate online from the from the feminism topics, yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, do you, have you come across any, um, like, challenges as a, a freelance writer that you've had to kind of Yeah, I mean, uh, my relationship with freelancing is very love-hate. I remember at the beginning I was working at a cafe that was getting horrendously underpaid and I just thought, no, I'm going to try and pursue my dreams and I'm going to be a writer and it all worked out really, really well and then... I didn't have much money and I was waiting on invoices and then I was writing because I needed money as opposed to writing for, for fun or not so much for fun, but because I felt compelled to. Um, so then I went back to part-time work and it has been a little bit of a strange, um, tumultuous relationship with freelancing, I find. What was the question? Sorry, I've forgotten the question. Yeah, just if you've, if you've had any <laughs> um, particular challenges yeah. That, yeah, that you find. Because I know that freelancing is one of those things where like, yeah, people want to write because they love to write mm. and then they go out as a freelance writer and you, d you don't make enough money no. and you have to start – people don't reply to your emails and you have to – invoicing, no one gets back to you. It takes months to, to get paid and totally. it, there's so many challenges there. Absolutely. Yeah, there are. Um, I'm very lucky in that my, my partner is incredibly supportive. Um, if some weeks I'm struggling with money, he'll help out or other things like that. Um, I'm also – I. I think the first year I was much more forgiving when it came to not being paid. Now I know that my work my work is worth something and I am happy to ask 
to to ensure that there is I, I write for money unless there's you know a small scale um, initiative or something very much aligned with my values and I have the time to invest in that I can make those decisions but I've been very strict about those decisions is there anything else you want our listeners to know about you not necessarily I think that um, it's because I spend a lot of my people engage a lot with my work online they forget that I have lots of anxieties and I have a lot of issues as well in the sense of you know making money is stressful or writing poetry is difficult some days and it doesn't just happen easily so if you do feel like you're struggling everybody does every every single person you admire does have those same hooks and those same um, complexities yeah yeah that's great advice (laughs) so true thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today no problem And that was our chat with Madison Griffiths. If you are interested to find out a bit more about her, you can always head to madisongriffiths.tumblr.com. There's a few articles on there and a little bio. And if you're also interested in her poetry, you can actually buy some um, prints online at madisongriffiths.bigcartel.com. And also you can follow her on Instagram at madisongriffiths. Madison very kindly, after uh, our interview, performed a spoken word piece for us. This is Heights now by Madison Griffiths. We kissed by a river where a plastic fork on the greasy shore was our only witness. And later, in the honey light of your bedroom, you asked me about my fears. Heights, I told you, like any new lover would. Heights, my darling, the escalators at Parliament Station, a needle bleached and ready to embellish my naked arm, the sort of fog that swallows up roads and sheep, distant like tiny white boulders with tiny white legs, unseeingly stumbling into some farmer's backyard butchery, or worse, smog, cloudy human acid, proof that we are failing, open water, where sea skeletons bare their stony teeth hungry for toes, and the current, the way it curls and cries and guzzles, summoning plastic and flesh into its ocean garden. We collapse into cotton sheets, and what I do not tell you is that in five years it will be you, my darling. I will see a pink body lathered in morning sweat, yawning, and for a moment I will, I will mistake him for you and he will mistake me for a contour of a woman trembling in second-hand trousers. In the purple cosmos of my sleep, you spit, kick, curse, strike at it on me. Every day is a burial, my darling, deep seed. Lamb that weep and march, your thumbs lodged into my shoulders like midi threats. Heights, my darling, how much I have grown. And that was Heights by Madison Griffiths. We were lucky enough to have a chat with her earlier last week. Thank you for joining us, Madison. Now, on to a poem by the late Kevin Gilbert. Uh, This poem is titled Shame. Um, Kevin Gilbert, just a bit of background. Uh, For those who don't know, he was an Indigenous Australian author, activist, artist, poet, playwright and printmaker. He was a Wiradjuri man, and uh, this is his poem, Shame. And some say shame when we're talking up, and shame for the way we are, 
and shame because we ain't got a big flash house or a steady job and car. Some call it shame when our kids, they die. From colds or from sheer neglect. Shame when we live on the riverbanks while collecting our welfare checks. Shame when we're blind from trachoma. Shame when we're crippled from blights. But I reckon the worstest shame is yours. You deny us human rights. Shame by the late Indigenous Australian author and poet Kevin Gilbert. Um, he often writes about issues facing Indigenous Australians and that was uh, his poem Shame there, one of his better known works. Wow, that was a really powerful poem there. Absolutely incredible. He's one of my favourite poets. Um, very striking work. Now, uh, on to a voice that uh, you have heard before. Uh, we are going to now play you the second part of Pernod in Winter by Harrison Bishop. Harrison is uh, a poet and uh, writer who has submitted with us before and his short story, which we will play now, the second part of it, um, the first part was played last week. Just so, uh, just a reminder of where we're at, if you did catch that last week, uh, he's been an, adve an adventure through the Paris streets, he's been kicked out of a, a, a hostel and uh, been quite sick in a cemetery and uh, he finds himself here now. So now we'll play the second part of Pernod in Winter. Yes, his name, truly. He had a long blonde hair tied up in a beanie without caring for looks or any of the nonsense we contemplate every day. He was from home, just like me, and I didn't like him for no other reason than it reminded me of what I left. It was all too close, and I lost him in a museum full of paintings and art students drawing sketches. I wasn't proud, but I couldn't breathe anymore with his accent and all. I swear something isn't right with me. I do. Anyway, I ran away from him, left him there to find his own way back and I took off towards the catacombs. I finally got there and cried, everyone around me lining up to see dead people buried underground. I got in and walked down the winding stairs to find skulls and bones and ivory everywhere. Too scared to think, I put my head down and charged on. There was no stopping me, graffiti on skulls and unrecognizable words inked on mines, actual mines. Got out the other end and couldn't breathe. For real, all these people, all these tourists paying to see dead French people in Paris. That's what it is, and why? I guess no one knows but that it makes them a cheap buck. I got back to the dorm and slumped myself in an armchair with a book caring for nothing but hoping for something. Not really sure what though. Met a girl called Laura, from sunny Florida, in Paris for four days and dressed head to toe in the latest hiking gear. As if Paris was full of cavernous glaciers and frostbitten Sherpas. She seemed nice enough and we went out to dinner. She had chicken curry and I had pasta that could have fed the Marseille streets. We talked about life and how terrible it all was, how everyone expected you to be sane and want a nine to five, yet we couldn't get one between us. Refused what we wanted to do, so what do we do? Stuff along those lines. She said she was a Buddhist, but didn't like meditating. We headed back to the dorm with a bottle of cheap red wine under our arm and decided to share it together in her room a room full of seven beds and we were the only ones there, drinking cheap red wine out of paper cups. This is what Paris is, just a boy trying to become a man while trying to survive, 
and a woman you've just met telling you how the earth is so big, the city so busy, our minds lost in a trance. Laura took her coat off. She was wearing a grey sweater, her chest a rosy pink in the evening cold. Her cleavage just fine and I drank my wine and asked her to fuck. She threw me out, took the wine and slammed the door in my face. And there I was standing all alone in the hallway, the red carpet turning brown with time. I went back to my dorm and sat there a while. I must have fallen asleep but woke up at 4am and decided to leave Paris for good. Got out of bed and grabbed my canvas bag, shoved everything I owned inside and walked outside. It was freezing cold and I thought my toes were going to fall off in the morning freeze. I got on a tram for a bit, rickety to and fro. Only me and four old men on the way to a dawn market in their heavy tweed. A French kid in a damn fiddler's cap sat down next to me. It's not yet dawn and here he is sitting there with a candelabra in his hand. He nodded at me and spoke some French, some savoir that I didn't know how to respond to, so I just smiled and stared. He put his hand on my shoulder and said in broken English that everything's going to be alright. He pulled a flask out of his overcoat and took a swig before handing it to me. The metal cold in my palm, the whiskey burning my chest. He said his name was Raoul. I said my name was Eugene. I'm dating a gymnast, you know, Raoul said as his eyes darted around the tram. A gymnast? That's cool. Yeah, man, a gymnastique. Raoul pulled a frayed black and white photograph out of his pocket. There was a girl in a leotard smiling at the camera, her blonde hair tied back tight against her skull. Her smile gets me every time. And her hips. Oh my god, her hips don't stop moving. You know what I mean? Are you going to see her now, I asked, my blood running, my mind right there. No. No, we broke up, my man. We broke up. We came to this city together. All of the lights. You know, we played man and wife just for fun, but it became too much. Too serious, too quickly, and I loved her. With all my heart, man. <laughs> Do you love someone, Eugene? No one yet. Uh, you wanted to find her in Paris? I tried. I don't think she's here, man. I'm going to move on. You're a traveller, eh? I could spot you from a mile away. You know there are girls here in Paris who love foreign men. No, truly, I swear to God. I smiled at him. Don't waste my time, Raoul. He was drunk and his overcoat smelled of cigars and old-time tobacco parlours like my grandfather. Time? Your time? I'm not about to waste time, Eugene. Goddamn time? It's just about all we have along with the God and the Spirit. Don't throw it around cheaply, you know? Time. Like the freaking Americans say, it's a damn world series and it's your life. We both sit in silence. For a little while, Raoul's words reverberate around in our heads. He was poetic and he could have been a mystic, but I was too far down my road to see. I jumped off the tram not long after, the wind making my ears ache somewhere deep down. I ran into a train station and jumped on an old diesel rattler going somewhere, anywhere, away. I fell asleep in the warm leather seats and woke up to the sound of the hydraulic doors opening. I grabbed my bag and went outside. Some outer suburb of Paris, a banlieue something i wasn't sure it was industrial and there weren't many faces let alone people just big gray buildings and wire fences a man in a bulky blue jacket and a grubby face covered in dirt suddenly appeared walking towards me so i turned and walked towards him as well wondering whether his heart was racing as fast as mine he looked me in the eyes a needy look like he hadn't eaten or slept or seen a woman since the great war he asked me in quick fire french whether i had a lighter I shook my head and looked at the dirt. I asked him which way to the airport in my broken French. 
but he just spat on the ground next to my feet before walking away in his crouched stance. It was cold all this time and the dull dawn was approaching. I picked up a brick that was lying on the ground and threw it at the man in blue for no reason. It hit him on the head and he fell to the ground with a muffled thump. I don't know why I did it, so I ran away scared as hell and all. I kept running, my canvas bag slung low over my shoulder. I found a bridge and walked underneath it. There was a woman and a child asleep on a flattened cardboard box. The woman in a wasted pink sweater and brown skirt, black boots never leaving her feet. Her face angelic in the pre-dawn pause. The kid with a face full of dirt and snot. Life clinging to his very skin. A wool blanket once every colour of the rainbow wrapped around his waist. I sat down next to them and closed my eyes against the concrete backing. I could feel the warmth of my tears rolling down my cheeks. The woman woke up and asked me, What do you want? I looked at her with big, wet, needy eyes. I'm just living, ma'am. Just living. I swear. Tears and snot both running freely down my face, my throat aching in the wintry torment. The woman closed her eyes and held out her hand. I held it as we intertwined our fingers. Her hand was warm. Her fingernails black with grime. Somewhere deep down, I could feel the whole damn thing going up in flames and fading skies. This life. I'm probably just lost in someone else's plan. This whole time, and I'm not able to shake Raul's words. It's the World Series and it's your goddamn life. And if this was a World Series, then I must be a pitcher with no arms. This unending routine of constant affliction. You know, maybe the only important thing in this world is finding a pretty girl to dance with. And maybe just forget the rest. A Kerouacian submission by poet and writer Harrison Bishop there. Uh, if you do want to hear the first part of that story, if you missed it last week, it will be up on the podcast shortly, uh, as well as uh, on our first show, Harrison's poem, 38 Cans of Beer and A Kiss in the Sun. Uh, both fantastic works there by Harrison, and we thank you so much for your submission. If you uh, liked Harrison's work, you can uh, visit his Instagram. He's there at Bish. If you do wish to submit yourself, you can uh, do that also on our Instagram, Right Here Radio. We're also on Facebook under the same handle. Or you can just email us at radio at gmail.com. Of course, that's W-R-I-T-E, here radio. Don't forget to tune in next week to hear the third part, third and final part. No, that was that was the last part of Harrison's <laughs> story. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Thanks, Harrison. <laughs> um, we're actually going to go to a few poems now um, submitted to us by Tor Lasut. So Tor was actually working in banking for over 15 years after completing her business degree, but um, just now had a change of heart and decided to change her career path and is enrolled in the RMIT Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing. So here's her first poem, Dogma. Dogma is believing bread is flesh and wine is blood. Dogma is believing 40 virgins await me in the clouds. Dogma is believing I'll be born again to find enlightenment. Dogma is believing we own the holy land. 
Dogma is believing the science is undisputed. Dogma is believing we are all equal. Dogma is believing only humans affect the weather. Dogma is believing it's all a conspiracy. Dogma is believing the world is flat. Dogma is believing doctors are always right. Dogma is believing money is real. Dogma is believing it's unfair. Dogma is believing I can make a change. Dogma is believing I am right. Dogma is believing we can make choices. Dogma is believing. That was by Tor Lissett, a submission um, from a creative writer studying. That was really cool. I, I think it's a big career change uh, or career pathway change to go from you know, banking to creative writing. Yeah, yeah. very different industries. Yeah. Absolutely. Very admirable. That uh, poem was a fantastic example of how repetition can be used so effectively to kind of drive home a point. That was phenomenal. Definitely, mm. yeah. Mm. And it doesn't, it has a purpose mm. with that last line, dogma is believing. It's, mm. it's almost a dogma in itself, yeah. the poem. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually have a second um, poem here from Tor Lusselt. Um, and this one's titled Billions and Billions of Years Ago. Billions and billions of years ago. A squirting, slimy ooze. Slowly, oh so slowly, form takes place. A protective cover turns to skin. A reaction to light turns to eyes. A reaction to vibrations turn to the fine hairs in our ears. Limbs, fingers, poseable thumbs. Climb the tree to flee. Climb the tree for juicy fruits. Sticks and stones to kill, to cook, to feed. Our bodies now so different to the rest of the kingdom. So big, so tiny, so round. Outspout mouth, now oz or ums. A form of call, a form of thought, a form of sound. We used to talk, to work together, to fight, to teach, to believe. What great many movements we chose to teach. Contort, retort by the way of violence. Conform, reform by way of covering our bodies. And that was Billions and Billions of Years Ago by Torless Out. And I think that was a really lovely poem. It had a bit of a an evolutionary kind of feel to it, the way it was talking there. Really, really liked that one. Yeah, she's she's clearly chosen the right career path in the end. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And very, very brave, I think, too, to make the move after, I think she uh, told us it was 15 years in banking, which mm. is... Um, a long time. It is a long time and so very, very brave. And I think it'll pay off this move. Yeah, definitely. Oh my days. Mm -hmm. Beautiful words there. We now have uh, a poem by uh, one of our favourite poets, uh, Roberta Bobby Sykes. Uh, Bobby Sykes was an Australian poet and author. Um, she was a lifelong campaigner for Indigenous land rights as well as human rights and women's rights. And this is her poem, A Song for My Daughter. Mm. 
I would write you a poem. I would sing you a song. But our thoughts are the same. And our voices are one. Under my heart, you grew, tiny bump. Your twists, your kicks were my joy. I knew from the start. From the beat of your heart, in my image you'd be, not a boy. Small babe, you arrived, and I looked in your eye. All else saw the infant girl, but I saw the child in me. Time passed so quickly, from cartwheels to lipstick, now into a woman you've grown, a flower full-blown, and life seems little more than a trick. Modesty keeps me quiet, my dear, from extolling the beauty of thee. For a song for the woman in you, my child, would be a song for the young girl in me. My heart swells when I see you, my dear. All heads turn to witness your grace and comment on your elegance. I stifle a smirk as a mother of that charming face. So often, it seems, the same passions we share, ideas and views on the world. And when I complain that your tongue is too quick, it's in the low tone of despair. For I know where you got it, in your mother's warm milk. And I also, and also I know, in the blink of an eye, it can turn from steel rasp to silk. Modesty holds me still, my dear, from extolling the beauty of thee. For a song for the woman in you, my child, would be a song for the young girl in me. My heart swells when I see you, my dear. All heads turn to witness your grace and comment on your elegance. I stifle a grin, proud mother of the impish brown face. That poem there was A Song for My Daughter by Roberta Sykes, also known as Bobby Sykes, Indigenous Australian poet, and just a gorgeous poem. You can feel the love in mm. every line. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful poem. You can, it's so clear that it's a mother's love as well. Mm. And just that line, from cartwheels to lipstick, mm. I just, I love that that, I love that, um, that, it, that phrase has so much growing up in it, yeah. you know, from cartwheels to yeah. lipstick. Mm. I like that the poem, it, it's it, it kind of inherently female and the, the um, kind of unashamedly so. Yeah. Um, in your mm. mother's warm milk. Yeah. It's, mm. yeah. It makes no apologies. Yeah. Um, very lovely. She's a lovely writer, Robbie, Roberta um, Sky. Mm. Indeed. Um, and now um, I actually have a piece of my own that I would like to read out. Um, I was inspired by hearing Ali's poem last week. <laughs> um, 
and this piece is called strawberries and cream and I wrote this in writing class about what well, it was almost two years ago now so it's a bit of an old one but I kind of had fun writing it strawberries and cream life is a dream I stand between my best friends under the harsh fluorescent light of Cole's supermarket. The brightness of the lights giving everything a sharp edge. It's the lolly aisle. Isn't it always the lolly aisle? The tall shelves of multicoloured sweets stretching before us like the Great Wall of China, waiting to be conquered. We are ready. We shall conduct this mission with deadly precision. We are the heroes of this tale and we shall triumph. Long, deliberate decisions executed by quick hands. We grab at the packets, taking no prisoners. We only have 7.30 between us. Sacrifices will have to be made. Strawberries and cream, life is a dream. Carrying our spoils of war back through the dark night, we are euphoric. We are power. We are infinite. Hands stretched towards the sky. The filtered bits of moonlight between our fingers create twisting shapes across our faces. It's magic. The night belongs to us. Pausing at the park, we lie on our backs in the deep grass. It blankets us. Tender hands grip each other as we watch the stars against the backdrop of the universe. Whispered secrets swallowed by the sweet-smelling wind. We make pacts, declare our friendships, and make plans for the future. Strawberries and cream, life is a dream. At home, in my bedroom, wrapped warm, safe, in fluffy blankets, in between soft pillows. We sit on the be double bed, our kingdom of comfort. My friends and I are so soft, and I love them. A, f a bag of party mix lays ripped in half, ravaged in the middle of, of magazines, books, makeup, bras, and speakers. The little lollies glistening like jewels amongst the rubble. Laughter. Loud, easy laughter, filling the room, lighting up the house, bringing it to life with our illusions of grandeur. We are dazzled by our brilliance and the possibilities of our youth. We expand off each other, growing bigger and bigger, so large, we explode into the night. Strawberries and cream. Life is a dream. So yeah, that was my um, poem, a bit of an epic story there. Yeah, thank you so much, Kate. That was beautiful. <laughs> I really liked the kind of scene that you painted of like you and your mates on the bed surrounded by magazines and lollies <laughs> and yeah. kind of how it all tied in together. That was really cool. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> very, very brave to read your own work. Um, it's hard, yeah. It's a scary task. And <laughs> it, it is very brave to send in your work. So thank you to all of our submitters tonight. Um, we are going to uh, leave you in about 15 minutes. It's been a pleasure having you. Now uh, now I'm going to read an excerpt. Um, so this is from a short story called um, Reports from the Streets of Brisbane. It's by Michaela Maguire and it was actually published in um, The Lifted Brows Best Of, Volume 1, edited by Ronnie Scott. Um, so this particular excerpt is uh, from October... Oh, sorry from the 20th of October, 2006. I secretly love the traffic crisis. The front page of Wednesday's Courier Mail. Gridlock. Crack in freeway brings city to a halt. Chills. My favourite question to ask people this week is, so how long did it take you to get here? 
I like doing this for two reasons. Firstly, because my very limited because of my very limited geographical understanding of Brisbane. When people say I had to go through Indooroopilly along this road and then because this road is closed I had to take this exit, but then this other road was closed, so I had to go all the way. I have no idea what roads they are referring to, so it's like they are recounting a journey through Bangkok. Secondly, I love that I love the traffic crisis and they don't. Yesterday I decided to explore the chaos from a pedestrian's perspective. So I got off the bus at the transit centre and walked along whatever street that is, which runs parallel to George Street, along the river where if you keep going along it leads you to the Riverside Expressway. At 9am there were no cars and no noise. To add to the eerie, the other one pedestrian who was walking along the footpath was dragging his little finger along the walls and fences of buildings as he went. His left little finger was half the length of his right little finger. It looked as if he had been walking too close to walls for years and years and had worn his pinky down to the knuckle. I was sent home from work three hours early, so I suddenly had an afternoon on my hands, an approaching, an, an approaching thunderstorm and an incredible feeling of re- restlessness to deal with. I toyed with the idea of just pretending to have to drive somewhere so I could get stuck in traffic, but decided that was silly. So that was from Reports from the Streets of Brisbane by Michaela Maguire. That was a, that was a, a really sweet story. I really liked that. Yeah, it's kind of cheeky. <laughs> the idea of, you know, jumping off the bus to get uh, into the frame of mind of a pedestrian. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Well, we have about 10 minutes left. Um, so there are... Um, of course, amongst our um, submissions, we do like to read um, some of the classics. And um, perhaps now uh, we can read uh, one of our, our favourite poems. Um, this is uh, The Fairies uh, by William or Allingham. Up the airy mountain, down the rushy glen... We daren't go a-hunting for fear of little men. We folk, good folk, trooping all together. Green jacket, red cap, and a white owl's feather. Down along the rocky shore, some make their home. They live on crispy pancakes of yellow tide foam. Some in the reeds of the black mountain lake with frogs for their watchdogs, all night awake. High on the hilltop, the old king sits. He is now so old and grey, he's nigh lost his wits. With a bridge of white mist, come kill he crosses. On his stately journeys, from Seed League to Rosses. Or going up with the music on cold starry nights, to sup with the queen of the gay northern lights. They stole little Bridget for seven years long. When she came down again, her friends were all gone. They took her lightly back between the night and morrow. They thought she was fast asleep, but she was dead with sorrow. They have kept her ever since deep within the lake. On a bed of fig leaves 
watching till she wake. By the craggy hillside, through the mosses bare, they have planted thorn trees for my pleasure here and there. Is any man so daring as to dig them up in spite? He shall find their sharpest thorns in his bed at night. Up the airy mountain, down the rushy glen, we daren't go a-hunting for fear of little men. We folk, good folk, trooping all together, green jacket, red cap, and a white owl's feather. So that there is a very cheeky, uh, in, in moments heavy uh, poem, <laughs> The Fairies by William Allingham. Um, I believe I read he started off uh, in, in quite a mundane profession. What was it? He was a, oh, a customs officer. Yes, that's right. Really? Surprising. The least poetic of careers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then eventually he moved to England uh, from Ireland, from his birthplace in Ireland, and um, he started editing Fraser's magazine, and he got to know many literary icons of the time, mm. um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti and Lord Tennyson. And if you get a chance to look up his diaries um, online, do, because they, they're full of gossip from, you know, the Ooh, literary circles the of the time. secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there you go, Tor. If you're listening, a change of career can be a very good thing. Yeah. Um, and now I have one of my personal favourites. Um, I remember my dad um, reading this to me when I was uh, a young girl. Um, and this is a poem by Lewis Carroll. And it's actually published in his second book, the um, second one to Alice in Wonderland. I'm not, the name escapes me right now, but I'm sure you can find out. Um, and this is titled Jabberwocky. It was brillig and the slithy toes did gyring gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borough groves and the moan wraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the frumptious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the maxnome foam he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And, as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tuggly wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal sword went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabishous day, kaloo kalay, he chortled in his joy. It was brillig and the slivy toes, did and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borough groves, and the moan wraths outgrabe. So yes, that was The Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll, and it's actually what they have termed as... Um, a nonsense poem because <laughs> yeah many of the words in that poem were completely made up <laughs> i was just about to say i i love how listening to that i i hesitated for a moment because i was like am i yeah no not you're not crazy that, you're no, not crazy. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've lo- actually yeah. never heard that before so that's really interesting it's almost to listen to. it's almost a phonetic kind of poem yeah, like definitely. the way you hear it is so uh, is more interesting than the actual what's in it i have we're ending on a very mystical note with fairies yeah, and jabberwockies <laughs> and made up words um i read that um 
Lewis Carroll, he did a lot of his writing indulging and things mm-hmm. that kind of took him to a maybe another level, say, another level, another <laughs> plane, uh, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which we of course do not condone here on Community Never. Radio. But <laughs> no, it no. is interesting when you consider all these fantastic ideas, you know, that he sort of mm. created. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now our show has come to its end. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Had a wonderful time. And we we have been missing um, Eleanor this time, but Definitely. She'll, she'll be joining us again next week. Eleanor mm-hmm. will be back next week. Now, thank you uh, to you all for listening and thank you uh, most of all to our submitters. Uh, this show wouldn't be without you. Um, if you do wish to submit, if you've been inspired by what you've heard tonight and you do wish to submit, you can, of course... Uh, Email us at right here radio w r i t e here radio at gmail.com or our inbox is open on our Facebook page or our Instagram, uh, right here radio. Of course, you can follow us and like us on those pages too. Thank you also to Madeline Griffiths for having a chat with us earlier in the week and sharing some of your work. Um, please tune in next week. Now we are going to finish uh, with. A recording of Dorothy Parker, a uh, famous American poet, writer, critic and satirist, uh, reading her poem, Inscription for the Ceiling of a Bedroom. We'll see you next week. Inscription for the Ceiling of a Bedroom. Daily dawns another day. I must up to make my way. Though I dress and drink and eat. Move my fingers and my feet, learn a little here and there, weep and laugh and sweat and swear, hear a song or watch a stage, leave some words upon a page, claim a foe or hail a friend, bed awaits me at the end. Though I go in pride and strength, I'll come back to bed at length. Though I walk in blinded woe, back to bed I'm bound to go. High my heart or bowed my head, all my days but laid to bed, up and out and on, and then ever back to bed again, summer, winter, spring and fall, I'm a fool to rise at all. Like us at facebook.com slash synmedia. Follow us on Twitter at synmedia. And come visit us at syn.org.au.